to the official podcast of the Canberra Raiders. Habili off the Caesar. Now he puts a kick out. Croak is there again. Oh, Jared Croaker! What a catch by the skipper! Come join us as we go Behind the Limelight. Yes, welcome back. Raiders podcast episode... Four, I think it is. We're going to round four of the NRL Premiership, joined once again by Benny Pollock, Tommy Logan. Boys, what a win that was on Friday. 17 points to 10. Now, before the game in preparation, I was looking at the Big League magazine, circling all the danger men for Newcastle, and I circled quite a bit. I thought, hang on, we need to be good today. We need to be good today. We've got the chocolates, mate. 17 points to 10. <laughs> the legend, uh, former Melbourne Storm prop, Brett White, says walk past, and... Um, He's giving you the. He's, he's trying giving to stir you the us up, but we're professional here on the podcast. <laughs> we are. No stops for nothing. The podcast. What a win! What a win! Simple as that. It was a really good performance. Um, obviously, um, the Knights uh, came down here with a, a point to prove, and, and we knocked them off their perch. Uh, I thought that the guys around the park doesn't matter what position they played; they were all pretty strong. And uh, some adversity there before the game of Sam Williams having to come in for Aiden Caesar, and I thought Sammy did a wonderful job at halfback. And our new recruits just keep on impressing. Uh, John Bateman's numbers were, were through the roof. Charles Nickel Clockstad scored a double, uh, and Ryan Sutton, I thought, in his first game starting, was his best performance as well. So um, a big tick in the box there for Pete Mulholland and the recruitment team, and and we march on into round four. Johnny Bateman, I thought we saw what he could do with the football. We've seen what he could do off the ball. And some of those carries he did, he was just uh, breaking the line, pushing people away. Nearly set up a, a great try towards the end there, but he was outstanding. He's starting to really warm to the community. He's becoming a bit of a crowd favourite, isn't he, Johnny Bateman? Oh, tell you what, I don't think he can get any better. He just seems to keep getting better and better every week, and I, I don't know if it's peaked already, but I oh, hope it continues long into the season. Look, we weren't perfect, let's be honest. We, we made some mistakes, a couple of... Uh, that was the good thing. Yeah, that's right. A couple of kicks out on the full, few errors, handling errors, a couple of missed tackles. I mean, these things crept into the game a little bit, but the way that they responded to those errors is, is what's most impressive. Uh, just the two tries for the Knights uh, coming, uh, one in the first half and one in the second, and, and keeping them to 10 points. And that's what you want. You want to be able to limit teams in possession and also with point scoring ability. If you can do that, you go a long, a long way to winning a game. Let me ask you, gents. At 16-10, the Knights were coming for us. Was there that, uh-oh, this old movie again? I don't think so on the field. I don't think there was – there was probably a few, guys, few people sitting in the stands though, thinking, yeah. The boys on the field, absolutely not. Uh, speaking of they were, they were they were a whole different mindset, but you guys, of course, I mean, I think oh, I was. I think oh, I could be up – we could be up 50 nil, and I'd feel like that, though. It's just, that's just me personally as a, a football fan. I just uh, – I, I, They were coming. It's not – It's, we hung it's in always there. the hardest 80 minutes of the week sitting there watching the game. I, I love the footy and I love the game, but just – you, you ride the roller coaster of emotion mm. for the whole game every week, um, but you know this team that they've, they've obviously worked really hard on that. Uh, Brett White coming through, he's got a <laughs> handful of chalk bit milks with him. Thanks to the <laughs> DT at Canberra Milk there. Yeah, but, but you know, like um, to their credit, they, they held their nerve, and I think um, hopefully we're starting to see a few of those demons put aside and they can go out and, and learn how to close the game. And once again, we saw it in round one. We saw it this week as well. Closing the game out with the field goal to go in front by seven points. Um, Sam Williams uh, doing the job this week. And that just gave them that little edge where you thought, you know, maybe this team has turned that corner. Ace, ace, baby. Ice the game for us beautifully. And we spoke about the mistakes that happen, especially in those conditions, but how they're responding to errors. They're not uh, getting stuck in their head. And I really thought, speaking of that, Jackie Whiten had a couple of, you know, a couple of off kicks that went out on the full, but that big play where he did the charge down, regathered, got possession down there, and which led to the Sammy Williams try. Um, 
So they they talk about James Maloney as a player who, when he makes an error, he just gets on with the game. He doesn't let it get into his head. And I thought Jack showed a bit of maturity on the weekend. Like we said, he made a couple of errors, but he just kept going. He didn't shirk his responsibilities. He he still looked for options. He was still putting the kicks downfield, uh, trying to find the corners. His game didn't change a lot, and that's what you want to see in a playmaker. You don't want to see them go to water if they make a couple of errors, and I thought that's what the, the encouraging thing about his performance very strong in defence as well, Jack. Uh, he put on a few good hard hits on a few of the Knights plays, which was good to see. Well, you've got to remember, it's a new edge too. Yeah. So, you know, the combination between himself, Croker, uh, and Elliot, that's going to take a little bit of time to, to come good. Um, so, you know, we're going to see a, a lot of teams throw a bit of traffic that way, but it's just about those guys, you know, learning each other's games a bit better and, and getting better at what they do. I think all in all, you mentioned at the start, there wasn't the most prettiest performance but the fact that we got the chocolates against quality opposition, let's not, there's no mistake about that. And the fact that uh, teams haven't really found players like BJ, players like Raps, players like Nicky Cottridge haven't really found their 2019 role yet. And we're still getting a, you know, we're two and one after three weeks. Right, our gents, uh, we put away the Knights game. We're two and one. We move on to one 300 Smile <laughs> Stadium there in Townsville. Look, a place we like to play. We haven't had much success in the last few years, but we had the, we won there last year. Good win last year too. Great win last year. It's it's a ground that doesn't really intimidate the boys, especially this time of year. Though it's still fairly warm, but mm. plenty of confidence going here this week after last week. Yeah, I think you have got to be wary of the wounded cowboy this week. No Tamalolo. Well, no Tamalolo. It's the time to be playing a, the Cowboys. Makes though. a big difference, but <laughs> um, uh, again, Ricky mentioned in his press conference this week that teams that are being talked up um, and and coming out and, and getting beaten and teams that are getting beaten uh, and absolutely punched around in the media are then coming out and winning so well, the Bulldogs the, and the Tigers the Cowboys exactly right the perfect mm. example of that Parramatta we saw them flying the first couple of weeks and then they dropped off last week but um, look the Cowboys they're going to be hurting um, mm. they got um, their pants pulled down up there in front of their home fans last weekend and I've got no doubt that they've got the cattle to, to give us a really tough game up there. The conditions will be very interesting as well. Yeah. With the with the back end of the floods, I actually spoke to Andrew Voss during the week. He gave me a call and he mentioned that um, he'd never experienced humidity like it in all the times he'd ever called a game up there. He wow. said all that water that's laying around from the floods um, is just you know soaking up and just making that whole humidity just even worse than what it normally is up there and he said Sharks players were absolutely drenched when they came off the field after that game probably you know three four kilos worth of fluid they've probably lost during yeah. that game so there's um there's definitely going to be some work during the preseason that's helped us prepare for this and let's hope that we can we can get on top of it uh, in this game we're not getting too carried away but to keep winning games and all it takes in this game is one week one poor week and you can all come tumbling down again mm. Yeah, I think it's going to be quite a big battle in the forwards this week. Uh, Just on some of the names that you touched up on there before, Benny, I think this is going to be a real big test for our forward pack. So far we've passed with flying colours. I think a good good example of that was probably against the Titans in round one. So if we can repeat that sort of performance, I think we should be all right. Same team as last week as well. Joe Tarpany is the only one who could possibly come in. Uh, He's been named on the extended bench. So they'll test that thumb out before the boys make the trip up to Townsville and and see how he's uh, travelling. And if if he's fit, I'm sure he'll come back into that squad somewhere. Um, I thought Hudson Young was great on his debut towards the back end of the game. But if Joe Tarpany is available, he'll definitely be in that side. When you'd carry more of a, a lighter pack, you need a couple of really strong aggressors in there. And clearly Jay Bateman's one of those. Horsborough's another one of those coming through and, and, and likes of Tarpany as well. So we're going to have a really good aggressive pack. Mate, this could go a long way this year, boys. 
Right, eh? Look at the big smile on this bloke's face. Benny Pollock, I talk of. It's three and three. He's, he's got you. No, you, two. I've got two out of you've three. Got two out of Fearless three. predictions, yes. You've, you predicted that Sean's Nickel Clock's dad was going to score a meat pie, and you got two of them. You got a double. So this week I'm going Jordan Rapana to break the funk in terms of try scoring. And we saw him getting back near to his best last week in terms of his carries and his defence. Uh, you know, he dragged Edric Lee over the mm. sideline. Tough carries from dummy half as well as, he, as we're used to. But this week is going to be the week. A double from rapper. Well, quite interesting. I was thinking on the way here, what am I going to do? And I'm thinking Cottridge has been a bit quiet as well, Nicky. So I reckon he's going to score a double on the back of some really expansive play to finish off some really good backline moves and score a double. Well, you've just stolen my prediction oh. there, mate, because I was going to go with <laughs> okay. Nick Cottridge. do that as well. But I hope you're both right first and foremost, but I'm going to go with my backup one and say Elliot Whitehead with a try and a try assist. Yeah, okay. He's got that in his game, Elliot. He does that show at the line. So yes. I reckon he's that's a that's a pretty good one. Look, if we can get all three of those up, we'll we'll go a long way to winning the game. That's for sure. Now joining us for the first time on the Behind the Limelight podcast, Andrew McFadden, Cappy. G'day. Great to be here. First of all, mate, Cappy. Where did that come from? Is it about the caps, or is it something deep and meaningful than that? No, it's uh, very uninteresting for the the modern generation. Actually, it was Craig Bellamy gave me the nickname back in. 97 when I first started, and it was after Handicap, the uh, the darts player, the cartoon character. So I didn't even know who he was. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, 97, of course, I remember being a young kid in 1995 being a ball boy for the Australian Schoolboys Championship at Seaford Oval, and you were playing for the ACT Schoolboys on the wing. Quite extraordinary how you've gone from a winger. You made, you made your way into the halves. What was that like for you as a junior going in there from the wing and then all of a sudden finding your way in the halves as a pivot, as an organiser, as a general? Yeah, look, it was tough. Um, I think there was a fairly obvious reason why I had to move into the halves because in that <laughs> game you talk, spoke about, um, I think it was uh, you know, Nigel Vanganar and um, Joe Vanganar in the, in the middle of the field, the Pulitura brothers. So they had the old winger in off the taps back then mm-hmm. and I was weighing <laughs> 64 kilos back then and <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was never going to make an impact on the wing. So um, they threw me in the halves. It was kind of sink or swim. And, yeah, hope, thankfully I made Who was make. responsible for that, uh, moving you to the halves? I think Tim Sheens was the one that it suggested Sheens. it back in the day. So you came into grade as a winger and they said, no, nah, we'll try you at seven or six. Well, I never really – I was I was a halfback by the time I got to gra- graded. But um, in my junior career, I was, I was always winger fullback, actually. So – it wasn't until I was 19 that I switched. I've heard you talk about this before, Cappy, but when you came into the side at halfback, obviously there was a bloke who played there before you, went all right, Ricky Stewart, I think his name was. He, You said that when you came, you know, you'd be at training and all of a sudden you'd see Laurie Daly standing 35 metres away expecting you to hit him on the chest with a spiral <laughs> ball. What was that like to come in and, and try and fill those shoes? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's how I remember it. He felt like he was a whole football field away from me. Um, yeah, he uh, he certainly had um, the room service treatment with Ricky Stewart, Laurie. So um, when he got me, he got lots of dummies thrown at him. <laughs> that was a huge wave of, of young kids coming through in that era. Like Obviously, Toddy Payton came through that era. Blokes like Royston Lightning, Ted Simpson, all these they were internationals. Uh, a good old friend, a big fan of the show, Dave Axe Acklands. He listens every week in his public service job. Good day, Axe. But that was great. Was that really comfortable for you, for you when you came into grade, having all those kind of guys around you at training as well? Did it make the transition easier? Yeah, it did. I mean, uh, you know, we won things back then. We, you know, we were very successful as a junior group. Um, under 15s, we won the comp. Under 17s, we won the comp. We won 
we were the first ACT team to win the national schoolboys as well. Mm. So we had a very good crew. We had a lot of future first grades in there, future first graders in there, and um, you know that's just what we ex- expected, I suppose, back then. And it probably highlighted the club at the time in that that uh, late eighties, early nineties. You know, we were very successful in all grades. Yeah, you left us though. You went to Para, had some time at Storm. Speaking of all that, that junior stuff, how much do you take that now as an asset into your career? in dealing with the young blokes coming through, not just locally, but from abroad as well? Yeah, look, I, I certainly draw on that. Um, you know, probably the biggest thing that's impacted um, my coaching is the fact that I, I did have to change positions um, late in the piece. I, I didn't have the the fundamental skills of a halfback. Um, I found it very difficult playing grade to, you know, to, I guess, uh, perform under that pressure when I didn't have the, that grounding as a junior player, in particularly in the halves, so is it important? You reckon that foundation? Oh, most definitely. It's all about the hours in the position, and um, you know I had to learn the hard way, and it probably really uh, impacted me uh, at a professional level for, for quite a long time in my career because I didn't have that, so I lost a lot of confidence, um, you know, because I was found out at the NRL level. So um, I'm, I'm very conscious of that when I coach that they, they need that foundation, that base. Um, skill set before um, they can really achieve what they want to. It's funny you say that because obviously we're seeing a lot of that these days of players trying to be manufactured into positions and you know we saw on the weekend when we played them, Kalen Ponga played at six and he obviously feels more comfortable at fullback and they're moving him back there now so that's a that's a pretty interesting point. Transition wise though you talk about moving as a player into a coach you, you did some coaching here at the Raiders uh, in lower grades before you um, moved into the, the senior ranks. Uh, tell us a bit about your time and, and what it was like coming in as a young coach. Uh, yeah, look, I just I took up coaching because I sort of finished playing. I finished fairly young. Uh, I wanted to stay in the game. I wanted to um, test my hand as a coach. Um, uh, I took over in uh, the Jersey Fleet team in 1990, uh, sorry, 2005. And uh, I just loved it from the from the moment I started coaching. Um, I saw the way I could um, influence and impact on young players, and you know I've just run with it ever since. So I've been doing it a while now. You got it, you, the the pathway you've taken um, to get back here is is quite remarkable. You went to France uh, for a while and involved with the Catalans, and then came back here as an assistant coach before getting an, an opportunity to go to the Warriors, where you ended up as head coach. Now that you're back here again, do you, do you look back at those? Uh, memories and think, oh, I'd like to have done something a little bit differently. Or are you happy with the way that things have panned out for you? Um, yeah, look, I, I'm very happy. I mean, it's made me the coach I am now, all those experiences. I mean, when I was over in France at the Catalans, you know, we pretty much had a staff of about four doing everything. You know, I was booking flights as well as coaching <laughs> wow. the side. Um, so that sort of, you know, it, knowing all that stuff and, and um, you, you realise what's important. Um, so, you know, having that grounding was really special over there. And then going to the Warriors, completely different culture. Obviously, the experience as a head coach, what I learnt is certainly helping me be a, a really good assistant coach now for Ricky Stewart because I, I understand the, you know, how tough it is, how consuming it is, and and all, any pressure I can take off him is, um, you know, is going to help us. We speak about the experience as a young fellow, get that experience of a, of a head coach as well. Cappy, when in your career do you realise I want to be a coach? Is it someone in the circle saying, you know what, you could, you could make a good coach one day or is it a desire? What is it? Because it's a, it's a tricky job to get into. It's a risky job to get into. What is it about you that wanted to make you a coach and, and pursue that post-career, post-playing career? Um, look, I was always, you know, really into the, the analytics of the game, like to really understand the game. 
unfortunately, my skill um, as a player never sort of met what the understanding I had as in the game, you know, particularly as a halfback. Um, but I had people, I guess, along the way that um, influenced me and, and sort of pushed me that way. I remember Matt Guyer at Melbourne my last few years. He was saying, you know, you should do coaching one day. Craig Bellamy even said it to me. You know, he, he said my understanding of the game's as good as anyone. It's just my skill didn't match that. So, um, you know, I, I was always leaning that way and, you know, I've, I've sort of ran with it ever since. You talk about the pressures of being head coach. As you mentioned, you've been there. Is assistant coach the best gig in, in the competition? Is that the best gig? It's great. Is it, is <laughs> it's it the really same pay, though? <laughs> it's nowhere near the pay. Um, you certainly earn your money when you're a head coach. There's no doubt. They get – yeah, the, the pay is, is, I guess, secondary to the stress. That's right. What is your kind of role compared to the boys through to Ricky? Um, look, um, you know, Brett and I pretty much um, share it evenly. We He does mainly in the middle of the field. He works a lot with our forwards and uh, the way they control the middle third. I, I generally um, do most of my work with the edges and their decision-making and positional play, particularly with our backfield. Um, you know, Whitey um, has a, a strong influence in our wrestling and tackle. Um, so, yeah, we, we share it along. Um, we both have probably equal input um, into the preparation every week and, um, you know, it works really well. No stress. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best bit. <laughs> All right, Cap, thanks very much for joining us this week. It's been great to have you on, hear a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes, and good luck up there in Townsville. Thanks a lot. Celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Green Machine's epic 1989 Grand Final victory. This week, I chat to a man who was quite instrumental in that win against the Tigers on grand final day. The guy that mysteriously called Angel, which was known as the field goal play, instead of going for an attacking set, an attacking play, he decided to put the team up 15-14. For the first time in the game, they led, and it proved to be such a positive psychological boost. As we turn back time to 89, I speak to the man they call Sully, Raider number 24, Chris O'Sullivan. How are you going, Nick? I'm going good, mate. First of all, congratulations uh, for being inducted in the inaugural Canberra Raiders Hall of Fame at the start of the year. It must be a good feeling to be recognised for something you did 30 years ago. Yeah, no, no, it really is. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's great the club's sort of looking back on the history and paying a little bit more attention to yeah, what we did in the past. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, I'm glad Ricky's on that and, yeah, I'm very happy. Speaking of Ricky, you joined him in the halves in that game in 89. What was it like playing with a young Ricky Stewart, uh, him at seven and you at six? Um, for me, I, I sort of obviously shifted out of the halves to make room for Ricky to come in there and shift to the 5'8". So for me, uh, you know, it was probably a, a sort of more of a dominating role with Ricky there, a young, inexperienced halfback. But uh, obviously the skills Ricky had would have brought some... T- to the team, you know, he had a great kicking game as well, and uh, for me, give me a chance to just organise and concentrate, and just setting up the play. So, no, it worked out really well for us. How were you like before the '89 game? How nervous were you? Uh, what was your preparation like, and what was going through your head uh, on that Sunday morning before kickoff? Um, like every game, you get nervous. It's a pretty big one. We we're up against a pretty good team, and they were going extremely well, and uh, we we're sort of rated again the underdogs, but. I think you could look at the, the lead up. I think um, we won seven games, or might have been. I think it might have even been nine games. Nine straight, straight yeah. 
Yeah. And I think seven of them were won in the last 15 minutes. Wow. So it been an arm wrestle right up to there. So we we're prepared to go there and, yeah, and battle it out. We just had that mental, yeah, I suppose, conditioning, yeah, for the final football. So, yeah, we'd been under pressure, yeah, nine weeks out. Yeah, we lost any of those games and we wouldn't have made it. So there you go. It was funny because... When you got to the playoffs, though, you, you felt really comfortable on that big stage. And it, and there was only a handful of you uh, bleeding over from 87. Um, there was still some quite a few young players, like blokes like Laurie, Ricky, Clyde, and they didn't play in that. They weren't around in 87. And when you got there, though, you just handled it so well. And obviously that nine-week run you put on, winning became a habit for you. It was that in the back of your minds, obviously, in the 89 game because you were down 12-2 at half time. Was there still optimism in the air there at half time, knowing that you have won every week and you will get there if you keep putting in? Well, for sure, yeah. We had that belief, you know, we had the players, we had the talent, you know, we'd been, you know, rolling along so well, you know. Even to be down half time, everything was positive in the shed. But I suppose you've got to consider, you weren't know, chasing a lot of points, and I think you know, a lot of credit should go to the, the back rollers, you know, the, mm. you know, the Gary Coins, the Dean Lance, and Bradley Clyde, you know, holding the centre field. You know, I think there was only a couple of line breaks up the centre against probably a pretty good pack, yeah, and in form as well, yeah. Actually, Tim read out the stats on Gary Coyne. He had um, averaged 34 tackles. In nine games, he had no missed tackles. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's a great stat, isn't it? Oh, wonderful stat. Coyne was uh, such a stalwart. I mean, he's just your next to a player that he's going to hit and stick. You know, he's not going to miss. So, no, it's a pretty good feeling. Now, Great part of the game he's got within. Obviously, he's drew level to scores at full time. Kick gets put down a field. Gary Jack drops the ball. He's a packing down for a scrum. You call Angel. And you kind of overrid Ricky. And uh, Mal probably wasn't even happy with that decision. But what was going through your mind there to take the one? Yeah, I think I'm think, um, proud of that. I called uh, just a uh, another play. And then uh, I was just looking you know, at the post. You know, I was probably 30 out, not quite in front. You know, the grass is good. You know, I, go, I can put a field goal over here. So I just called Angel, you know. Ricky started to panic a little bit, you know, and looked at Mal. I mean, at the end of the day, I'll make the call. So, yeah, Ricky just said, let's go, yeah. So... Yeah, no, it worked out well for us. But I suppose, you know, we're behind, we're tied up, we're running in the extra time, yeah? Why not? I mean, we hadn't scored too many tries. Who's to say we would have scored anything, yeah? I just thought I was not going to be interfered with here and, and I could have an easy shot at field goal. What did Mao say to you when you took the one? <laughs> or, or what did Mao say to you when you told him you were going for the one? He just said it's your call. You know, you've got to remember I organised the team mm. too, you know what I mean? I'm directing and calling the players and all that sort of stuff, so... And, you know, I'm overriding Ricky, at, you know, right over during the game. If I call for the ball, I get the ball, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that one yeah. point, that was such a psychological buffer for you guys. And I think if Big Jacko doesn't score, you, you, you win by one anyway. Yeah. Yeah, when I run into Jacko, I call him one. One bloody try. He scores one try, eh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. What a try. No, it's, it was a good finish, yeah. Yeah. I say he took my glory away, but I didn't mind that. You know, we won a game of football, and he put it beyond doubt. So, no, it was great. Well, you did what you did, and it ended up being such a great call. Uh, a lot of the boys at the time mentioned, what are you doing, Sully? For the first time, you were in front, and that just gave you so much psychological, also energy as well, just to defend and go that next yeah, level. It was an amazing exactly. play. Yeah, I know, yeah. And 
you see them peel out of the scrum, you know, they all had their head down, what's going on, and they realised, you know, we'd put the, the field log up, and then, you know, sort of, basically nearly took the wind out of their sails, I suppose, they're thinking it's going to be hard, a couple of minutes to go to get back down there, so, and get the ball back as well, so... Yeah, no, it did work out well. Well, it must have been I good could. for you, Sully, to, to have such a to have a stamp on the game and a stamp on the result like that. But you were one of the inaugural Raiders players from '82. You saw, you know, your wooden spooners for the first couple of seasons, unfortunately, and then you saw the culture change. You saw my you saw momentum building. You were there in '87. What was it like for you to be that, not just to win from the 89 team, but from someone that's been there from the start to win? Yeah, it was when I yeah, look back. Yeah, I think Keon had an opportunity to get a, a couple of other clubs. Actually, Balmain offered me a contract. Uh, Frank Stanton, the Australian coach, wanted a running halfback. So it would have been interesting how my career would have panned out mm. if I went to Balmain. Because they were in the finals you know, for the last, you know, since I think 84, I think. They're all in the final, so what sort of difference I would have made to their team. Mm. And in saying that, saying, well, you know, my other said to me, you're like a local kid, you've got to come back here and work and whatever. So this is home, so, you know, might as well stay loyal here. So he sort of convinced me to stay, so, yeah, so, to, yeah, I suppose it's rewarding to stay and, yeah, and have the opportunity to, to win a grand final and probably one of the greatest grand finals ever to be involved in that. Yeah, no, it's great. It worked out really well for me. The best grand final of all. So far, is there something you've taken from that game that you've implied to life? Because it was so many subplots in that game in regards to coming out, everyone was riding you off, uh, the Tigers come out, a couple of errors, you didn't drop your bundle, but you were down on the scoreboard, you fought hard, you fought hard, you stayed positive, and then and then the spoils came to you eventually right towards the end. Something so impactful like that, do you take a yeah. piece from that game and apply that to your life today? I know it's a bit deep and meaningful, but do you? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, for me, um, I was a competitor, you know, I'd never give up. I, I always struggle with that, you know, even just picking up a loose ball, I'd compete for it, you know. So I suppose in life, you know, you just, you know, you, you ride with the punches, yeah. Sometimes, you, you know, you get knocked down, you just got to get up and keep going, yeah. Yeah. And, but, yeah, I, I suppose the football gives you that, that working background, yeah. I, you know, I was a defender as well, so I worked hard, you know, so... I've sort of taken that into my personal life too as a builder and small-time builder. Uh, you know, I generally work pretty hard. Work a hard eight hours every day, so I still do. So, Well, Chris O'Sullivan, you were a, a great man to watch, a great Raider through and through from 82 all the way up to when you left us uh, in the early 90s, but obviously played a major part in that result, calling the, having the confidence to, to call, to put the team in front and obviously being part of the result. Thank you for joining us on the Behind the Limelight podcast as we turn back to 89. All right. Thanks very much, Nick. 